You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Thank you. This is yeah, this will this will do fine. Can I feel it? Can we take it out? <laughs> Thank you. That's much better. Woo. Uh, well, after the story we've just heard um, with blowback and blowjobs, I feel that it's my job to take it lower. No, um, <laughs> or rather that the the, um, the the bar has been lowered, and I don't. I can just say anything now. So it's, um, it's not nine o'clock watershed time yet, but forget that. Um, now I want to talk about, well, actually, when I first saw the, 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 the I was about to say the wrong word again. I do this sometime in my bipolar. I re, I, my mind races and I see words that aren't really there, um, or I read more words than are there that are really there, or I miss out a whole bunch of words. And when I first saw the True Stories Live thing written down, I thought it said breastless, um, which was a part of my life. I have been breastless. Um, and I kind of, I suppose I'm, this is about the journey to breastless. No, no, the journey from breastless. See, I'll get it right eventually. But looking back, and I was thinking, okay, so which breathless story could I tell? And I figured I've been a breathless about four times in my life. I thought it was three, then I realized it was four. By the time I got here, I'd worked out it was eight. So I'm just gonna try and narrow it down to some of those stories. Um, Four of them actually link together with a theme, so they're the ones I'm going to concentrate on. And because I hate missing stuff out, I'm going to do the other four very, very fast. Um, so you may be breathless, and I may be during the course of those. Um, the breathless story I might have told would have been the one where I had an absolute panic attack uh, would match my outfit. And that may sound completely trivial to you, but for someone who has anxiety and panic attacks, and my partner Esther, who's sitting there, can remember saying, do you need to get me to get you a brown paper bag to breathe into? And do we need to avoid security coming? So, But I've now got a reputation of getting into any festival without a wristband, because you can play the mental health card, and it's really useful. Um, <laughs> another breathless story I might have told was the time I woke up in the middle of the night with a nightmare, and was totally palpitating, hardly able to breathe, because for those of you who are Julie and mine age, <laughs> approaching our 50s, well, I'm actually already there, a few years into my 50s now, um, I remember spitting image in the 1980s. And um, for those of us who may be on the left wing of politics, which may be a number of us in the room, I'm not gonna out anyone who isn't, but um, I woke up and I, it, was the, it was like the devil incarnate sat on the end of my bed, and I had this conversation with it, in fact, but it looked, like Margaret Thatcher out of Spitting Image, and had been too close to the oven and had melted. Um, so <laughs> I was literally could hardly breathe at all for that one. The always make well not story even the one thing that always makes me breathless is walking from my partner's house on Oak Street <laughs> up to the bicycle shop, pretty much, <laughs> which is about as far as I can walk without um, um, arthritis pain. But St Lawrence's little steps in Norwich they make me breathless. I literally get from the bottom to the top and I have to pause and wait or use the barrier on the aisle. So I'm very familiar now with all the graffiti up that little bit. Every last bit of bird shit as I stop and step every go, walk up sideways like a crab in order to be able to make it. Um, so that's the three. I've done three stories already now, doing quite well. 
Uh, and the fourth one, I suppose, is probably one of the reasons why I'm still in a relationship with my partner, Esther. Um, it's probably close to our second date, because our first date didn't really count, so it's kind of naughty. Um, she was seeing someone else. Um, but our, <laughs> our actual date was we went out to the Belgian monk, and I watched her eat mussels. And that left me breathless, because she ate mussels filthily. And it was a proper when Harry met Sally scene. Okay. Um, but my actual breathless stories that I'm coming to, and Lucy's going to keep in charge of time and in charge of me, which is a tough task. Uh, my actual breathless story was, uh, is, well, there's four of them all connected. I've only ever been in hospital four times, and they're all related to breathlessness. Partly because they knock you out. So I blame doctors. I've been breathless four times each time because they put me under. And well, actually, no, they can't really be responsible for the first one because I was born breathless. So I was born not breathing, ended in Aries. Um, my rather anxious mother was four foot ten, was overheard the doctors afterwards saying this woman should not be allowed to have children. She wasn't built for it. And in fact, she, she and my dad had been to the doctors and had been told they couldn't have children. So um, I was a miracle baby in more ways than one. In fact, they gave up on children, went and got a couple of cats. And um, I've told this line before, it's kind of comedic and filthy, but three months of stroking pussy and my mum got pregnant. And, um, and I was born, but I was one or the other. So um, I was Damien that came out because they, obviously she was expecting me because after nine months she realised something was growing inside of her. Um, given that my dad's probably gay, we're not entirely sure how it got there. Um, every partner I've taken home for the last 10 years has said, you do know your dad's gay, don't you? And at 87, he hasn't come out. Um, in fact, I finally told my mum, do you think dad's gay? And she goes, yep, I think I do think he is. <laughs> That's what 60 years of marriage will do for you. So anyway, so I was born somehow, I don't know how, postman, my dad or otherwise. And, um, but I came out upside down, back to front and blue. That wasn't my voting intentions. Um, I'm long past those. And... They, their, their priority was obviously to get me to breathe, and it took seven minutes. And apparently from like eight to ten minutes, you've got a very high chance of dying. And from six to eight minutes, um, you know, maybe if I'd have come out breathing after two or three minutes, I'd have been brighter or sensible or not bipolar or even normal. Who knows? Um, and um, they managed to get me breathing after about seven minutes and wrapped me in a cloth uh, and... <laughs> took me off to the stable in the manger, no, that's another story, um, took me off to um, intensive care. But at that point, they had a shawl wrapped around one half of my head, and so I was briefly shown to my mum and, and then rushed off to ICU. And my mum says, but it's only got one ear. And they said, no, 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 Mrs. Went, it's got two ears. Show me the other ear. No, it's got two, but we haven't got time. So my mum goes off to her room, I go off to my room in a little cubicle thing, and um, she spends the whole time panicking about the fact that I've got one ear. But also at that point, I'd been designated female. And so rather than being called Damien at birth, I was called Catherine Elizabeth, and I was a one-eared baby girl for about nearly two hours. Because um, when you come out blue and not breathing and with a very stressful, small, tiny mum, the biggest priority is just getting me breathing not getting your eyes tested as a midwife or a doctor. And apparently the, 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 the designation of sex at birth is, if it's two centimetres, you have a boy. If it's under one centimetre, you have a girl. I was a well-endowed girl for two hours um, with a, 
one centimetre baby clit or something. I had no idea what it was at the time, nor had they, clearly. Maybe it was some kind of diversity experiment, you know, blind doctors, um, unable to tell. So at that point, though, I was Catherine Elizabeth. I only found out about this story many years later, and I can't use it as an excuse for how I turned out. I blame myself entirely for that. Um, so, you know, when I went into therapy and started asking my mother for stories, all the truth came out. Um, and so after a couple of hours, they, were t uh, they said, they came back sheepishly to my mum, and, and they kind of had their cross legs crossed, saying that I had my legs crossed, and they hadn't been able to tell. And by the way, now it was a, a baby boy. My mum really wasn't that bothered by the gender. She wanted to say, but has it got two ears? That was the priority. Although when I was actually born, my grandmother apparently, because there was enough of a window for them to ring up, my grandmother, when told that I was actually a boy by now, um, immediately replied, not another bloody boy. Because um, I suppose grannies on both sides had actually wanted a daughter born first. My mum actually had wanted a daughter born first as well, because she was a bit, a bit traumatised by having a younger brother who was treated as number one child throughout. And so she swore when we were born that she would treat us absolutely equal about our upbringing. Um, so I fucked it all up. And in fact, when I came out to my mum, she said to me, but I wanted one of each. And I said, well, sorry. Um, now I feel like I am one of each. And that's just me, which is kind of cheating, really. So my sister gets to be one on her own. Um, but around age five, I actually had another op. Um, again, um, my genitals came into play or rather the fact that they weren't playing was the problem. So <laughs> they knocked me out. And I remember one of those times when they gas you, and it's, it's one of my strongest memories as a child, age five, was saying, count back from ten. Ten. Nine. <laughs> and then I was out, and, and they did some things to my genitals. I'm not really entirely sure what. Um, and then as a teenager, I had another operation, and that was on an ingrowing toenail. Um, and again, I don't know why they have to knock you out to rip off your big toe. But as someone who studied Hebrew later in life, I realized there's a euphemistic connection here. Because in Hebrew, a foot is a euphemism for your penis. So <laughs> all the bits in the Bible you always thought were really boring, you can now go back and read again, where Ruth uncovers Boaz's feet, so-and-so covers someone's feet. Just place, replace foot with penis, and the Bible's way more interesting. 39, I did actually come out, what as I'm still trying to work out. But it took me about another seven years or so, and my psychiatrist did say to me I was the most reluctant transsexual he'd ever met. Um, and the NHS rang me up one day. I actually signed up for the trans-op, the trans-op, whatever the thing is. I signed up for a trans-op, and um, thinking, like, well, it's so long the wait on the NHS, I've got like a decade to make my mind up, really. If I don't like sign up now, I can change my mind later. I was kind of trying to do the kind of the Catholic version of transition. You know, sign up for all of it and then pull out at the last minute. So it's the withdrawal method, trying to, trying to end up as non-binary via the withdrawal method, which actually for a lot of non-binary people is, was the only way to do it. You had to sign up for the whole trans-op and then at the last minute only have half of it, um, which is quite difficult when you've been knocked out under a <laughs> thing. I was literally right at the last minute when I was before the theatre doors and the anaesthetist was knocking me out thinking, am I sure? Oops. Knocked out too late, woke up, um, and, I, and I'll wrap up here. But what I do remember is when they rang me up, though, and, si and said, look, do you want the op? I said, yeah, maybe. And I didn't say that, because if you show doubt, they also throw you out. And um, they said, only we've got an opening. I said, well, that's kind of what I'm after. 
Um, <laughs> but the, um, they said, no, you're on the NHS list, but it's going to be at least another year long time. We're worried you might die before you actually have your op or something like that. They said to me, we can send you private and the NHS will pay for it. It actually costs exactly the same because it's exactly the same surgeons doing it and everything else. But, and I said, what's the difference? And they said, better food. I said, oh, yes, yeah, sign me up immediately. So this is the kind of story of my relationship, actually. It's always about food. So because the food was better, I signed up for a transgender operation and said, while you're down there, can you put in a 4G hotspot? Because that would be really useful. And um, <laughs> I went along and saw my surgeon. And he said, so what exactly do you want? I said, I just said, well, nothing works anyway. Just get rid of it all. And he said, and what about the penis? So I said, well, that's never worked, so you can get rid of that. He said, but I could turn it into a clitoris. I said, knock yourself out. You know, if it doesn't work, you can always disconnect it. My rather wonderful partner also, um, I said, he said, what do you want done with the other stuff? I said, oh, nothing, thank you. Make me like cross between Action Man and Barbie. Below the waist. I'm not Action Barbie up top. That just grew naturally. But the... I said, look, you know, when you pull down a doll's trousers, they all look the same. That's what I grew up with. That's what influenced me as a kid. Genderless bottom halves. So I'll have one of those. He said, fine. So he did that. Um, Esther, my partner, rather wonderfully and embarrassingly, well, not necessarily for her, but maybe for the surgeon, actually said, would you like to use me as a model <laughs> and make Katie's like my, my surgeon said, sorry, darlings. I can only work with the available material. Um, and, um, but the, the very fact that he was a funny cock of a godlike thinking consultant actually made me feel confident that he knew what he was doing and so I, I let him do it and um, actually I had the best time of my life in hospital I was visited by nurses from 15 countries got to speak about nine of them had a wonderful Italian night nurse who kept coming around about 4 o'clock in the morning saying Katie, are you in pain? Do you want some paracetamol? And that's the point at which I knew my new bits worked. Um, because <laughs> I get turned on by foreign accents. And I remember having to ask Esther one night, please describe the most ugly person that you knew I wouldn't like to me, or the worst plate of food or something. Because, you know, I can't afford to get turned on <laughs> until they've been stitched together and healed and all the rest. But, no, I absolutely love my operation. I'd go back into hospital just to have it done again, just to meet the diverse multinational medical team that I had and the humour with which they looked after me and were very patient with me. And so, post-op, I have to say, it's the first time I've been able to breathe. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.